Good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? You excited to hear what God's got in plan for us? Week number six on what on earth am I here for? Now, I've got to start with a confession this morning. When we started this series, I must be honest, I wasn't super, super excited. I wasn't. I'm sorry, Pastor Roger. I know this is, I mean, we share everything together, but I haven't shared this with him just yet. Because I looked at this and I thought, haven't we heard this all before? I mean, I've been preaching this for the last 30 years, and if you've been here for the last few months uh, at Every Nation, you will know that we are passionate about discipleship. We're passionate about transforming lives, communities, and societies. We want to see people full of the Word, full of God's presence, and full of God's power. And part of me was, my gosh, are we going to be having this again? But I'm repenting for a reason. Because when I started engaging, and I started talking to people one-on-one and in groups about what on earth I'm really here for, I realized it dawned on me afresh that even though significance is a word that is, is well understood in the times that we're living, even though we don't do anything unless it has meaning, I mean, we don't do that type of stuff anymore just for the sake of doing stuff. I realized specifically when I reflected on my life that a significance outside of God's plan and purpose for my life fails to achieve true significance. I realized when I reflected on my life that a specific purpose, in other words, that specific purpose that's unique to me, and as I was sharing with others, specific purpose unique to them, outside of a biblical understanding of God's overall general purpose, has at best only a temporal level of satisfaction. I realize that when I do things just for the sake of doing them or because they in themselves, outside of an understanding of God's purpose and God's destiny, I realized that they felt hollow. And they felt hollow because I was only achieving part of what God's plan and God's purpose in those things really were meant to be. And so folks, I'm standing before you here this morning and I'm saying I'm truly persuaded that this series that we've been going through really is a fundamental and a word for us for now. Because unless we understand our specific purpose in the context of God's overall purpose, we're going to fall short of what God's plan is. And this is why. Because folks, if we, need, if we believe that God is the creator of the universe, if we believe that God set this system up, if we go, believe that God then invites us to be part of this process, the system that he created. We realize that he created the universe, that he put the earth within it, that he put us on this earth, and we are the pinnacle of his creation. We are created in his image. If we realize all of this, then we need to realize, we need to understand that if we're gonna play in this universe correctly, we need to understand the rules that God has put in place when he set this universe up. Think of it this way. When I was a kid, we loved the game of Monopoly. I don't know how many of you guys play Monopoly at home. But I love the game of Monopoly, and my specific purpose in Monopoly was always to grab those two purple properties right on the end of the board. They were the biggest, the hottest, the most expensive properties. It was Elof Street back then. I don't know what it is now. You could get Elof Street for 400 Rand. You could probably still buy something on Elof Street today for 400 Rand, but that's another story. And so this was my specific purpose within the general purpose of the game of Monopoly. 
you had to acquire as many of these properties as you could and then hope that people land on them and pay you rent. But you know what, folks, when I moved on and I started playing chess, how many of you know my specific purpose needed to change? It didn't matter how many Elof Street properties I bought whilst I was playing chess, right? That specific purpose had no significance in the game of chess. And one thing that dawned on me afresh again is as I was engaging with people that a lot of us are out there trying to find significance, but outside of the specific, our specific purpose, outside of God's overall general purpose, will fail to achieve that sense of significance in our lives. So I want to drill down. I want to double click on my own life. And there are a couple of things in my life that are really significant. They're unique to me. Some of them might be similar to you, but the way you do them are going to be unique to you too. When I started out my life, I was a son. I still am. Eventually, I convinced the most beautiful woman in the world to marry me, and I became a husband. Still am. Then something truly significant happened, and we had children. And I want to tell you that has been the most significant learning experience of my life, and I'm so grateful to God. But in addition, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a business partner. I'm a pastor of this local church. I serve under Pastor Simon in Rosebank and under Pastor Roger in the broader Johannesburg context. But then there's other things. I'm a cyclist. I love my bike. And I love to get out there and cycle. And you know what, folks? This is a confession. Oh, my gosh. I love coffee. I know some of you are going, well, not all of those are on the same level. I choose not to decide which of God's creation is more important than the rest, especially the coffee bean. But here's the crux, folks. All of those things only make true significance in my life when I understand them in the context of God's general purpose, that I'm a lover of God first and foremost. You see, folks, because if all I did on my bike was get fit, if all I did on my bike was race people up Krugersdorp Hill, if that's all I did on my bicycle, then how many of you know that the significance of that specific purpose would be fairly low in comparison to God's overall plan and purpose in my life? But when we race up Krugersdorp Hill and we take kudos from pipping your mates because you got there one meter ahead of them, and after you've kind of like passed in that afterglow and you keep going over and you start engaging, and you start talking, and you start realizing that people's marriages are trusting for breakthroughs, that they're trusting for emotional breakthrough in their lives, relational breakthrough with their families. They're trusting God for financial breakthrough in their businesses. They're trusting God to see lives and relationships restored. I realize that the reason I love cycling is only partly because I can race people up Krugersdorp Hill, but it's primarily because of the impact that I'm able to have in people's lives in helping them understand God's general purpose in their lives too. And so let's recap. In the last five weeks, what have we done? We started looking at what God's general purpose for our lives is. What on earth are we actually here for? And we realized that first and foremost, our, 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 our purpose starts with an understanding that we were created to be loved by Him. You see, folks, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because, folks, first and foremost, we've been called to be loved by him. He loved us so much that he gave himself 
as a sacrifice to want us back into relationship with him. And once we are free, our general purpose is we need to understand that we've been created to belong to him. You see, we're called to belong. We are not meant to be free agents just roaming around, just me and God. He places us inside of a family. And Ephesians, sorry, um, 1 Peter chapter 2 says, You're part of a, we are part of a global family. We are living stones. We are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. We were created for relationship. Folks, and he's placed us in a family. We're not just simply slaves, but we are sons and we are daughters. We are heirs, which means that we can walk and act in the same authority that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords acts. And when we understand that we belong somewhere, he does that because he's created us to become more and more like him. It's not just important that we look like Jesus. It's not important that we only look like him, but it's important that we start thinking like him. We start acting like him. That we start believing the way he does. That we start loving the way he does. That we start sacrificing the way he does. Which is why in Ephesians chapter 5 it says, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. And folks, the reason he does this is because he then calls us to serve. There is a shape inside of us because we are imitators of God that cause us to need and want to serve, to be part of this general purpose in this kingdom because we've been called to be a blessing. We've been created to be a blessing. You see, folks, it's not just about me and God. It's about what he wants to do through us in reaching a, lo- a dying and a lost world. And that's why in Colossians chapter 3, it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And the reason for that is because ultimately, folks, we've been made for a mission. Ultimately, there is a purpose. There is a unique purpose. There's a specific purpose that God has for you as part of his general purpose and his general calling in your life. And this purpose, folks, is not... It's not because this is the pathway for us to achieve significance. Because guess what? We already are significant. This is not a means to receive his love because guess what? We already are loved. This is not a process to become holy because there is absolutely nothing you can do to become more holy than he made you and he declared you when you became a born-again believer. This is not a prerequisite to be accepted because I'm already part of the greatest family on this planet, and I'm loved and accepted with all my warts and failures and all, even when I confess things to my pastor at the beginning of a sermon. And so, folks, ministry is not about us trying to earn these things because we already have these things. So why do we serve? We serve, friends, because of the wow factor of what God has done in our lives. When we stop and reflect and we say, God, The fact that you've restored us into a loving relationship with you. Lord, when we pause and we reflect, we have no choice but to go, wow, thank you, Jesus. And friends, that wow is so meaningful and important that we cannot keep it to ourselves. And we realize that's even more important when the world out there is looking for that same wow factor, but they're not finding it in the places where they think they should be looking. And so folks, Romans chapter, 12, Romans chapter 1 tells us this. 
Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That word power is the same word as for the word prescription. Paul is saying, he's saying this gospel is so powerful because in it, it has the key to set you free. Now think of it this way. Imagine you had a disease, maybe a disease of the muscles. And this disease was so debilitating that you could not move freely. Every time you moved, your muscles felt like they were on fire. You could not react quickly. You could not move properly. Just getting out of bed in the morning was a challenge. You go from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor, and nobody can diagnose what the issue is. One day you hear of a doctor that seems to be making a breakthrough in this area of muscle disease. And you go and sit down with this doctor, and the doctor looks at you and goes, after asking a few questions, says, I know exactly what the problem is. And it's not difficult for us to fix. Takes out his pad, writes a prescription, and says, go and get this. Take this, and you'll be healed. You go, well, I've got nothing to lose, so off you go to Dischem, or clicks, or whichever one you go to, and you go and get the prescription, and you take it, and you cannot believe it. But for the first time in years, you can move around. Your muscles aren't in pain. This fire inside of your bones is gone. And you are so excited, you're, you're just joyful, and you're liberated, and you're walking along, and for months you are free, and one day you bump into somebody, and you see that same look on their face that you had for years. You see them moving with that same slow movement that you had for years. So what do you do? Well, it's not my place to say anything. Look, I don't really want to interfere. What if I offend them by pointing out what's so obvious? None of us would think that way, folks. We'd go, oh my goodness. Man, tell me, is this what you're feeling? Now, you don't know me, I don't know you, but listen, I know what's wrong with you. And guess what? I found somebody who told me what to do, and if you do this, you too will be free. We wouldn't think twice, folks, if we came across somebody like that. But when it comes to the gospel, Lord Jesus, well, maybe, maybe not. We need to realize, folks, God has given us the prescription in his gospel. And without that prescription, we are tied up and we are dead and we will never achieve true significance. So why does he give us a ministry? Why does he give us a mission? Because, folks, this is God's way of partnering with us to establish his kingdom on earth. God said, I want to do it with you because God is a God of relationship. And he says, now that you understand my general purpose, I need you to understand that I want to partner with you so that together we can establish my kingdom on this earth. You know, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, taught them this way. He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice he didn't specify kingdom coming as salvation only or, uh, or, 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 or health only or, or deliverance from demons only because he said, look, I need to capture this in a term that covers all of that and more. And so he said, I know what I'm going to do. I want to establish my kingdom on this earth. So the way it is in heaven, I want you as believers to pray that the way it is up there, you want to believe and make it like that down here, because that covers it all. 
And so God says, I want to partner with you. I give you a mission, I give you a ministry, and I want to partner with you so that together we can establish my kingdom on this planet. And so let's look at a couple of people. William Wilberforce lived in the late 1700s. In 1785, he became born again. The general purpose in his life started to make sense. All of a sudden, he understood who God was and that God had a plan and a purpose for his life and his life needed to be submitted to God. And so he goes and sees a priest. He goes and sees a man called John Newton. John Newton used to be a slave trader. And so William's coming to John and he's saying, you know, he's almost kind of saying, John, I want to stop doing what I'm doing because what is he? He's an MP. He's a parliamentarian. He's from Yorkshire. He has a burning desire to see slavery abolished. But he gets born again and he gets radically filled. And now he's kind of thinking, God, should I go and preach the gospel instead? John turns to him and says, Wilbur, you've got work to do, my man. I'm preaching the gospel. That's my calling. But what is yours, William? God made you smart. God gave you a passion. God gave you the ability to communicate and interact and negotiate and argue. And God wants you to use that ability to get slavery abolished in this nation. And so together with his friend, William Pitt, who happened to be and still, still to this day is the youngest prime minister in the UK ever, start taking on the establishment. And you've got to understand, this establishment was a serious establishment. Britain made their money from building ships. Those very same ships where their captains and their crews went to pick up slaves in Africa and transport them across to the Americas. This was what kept a large part of that British economy afloat. They were taking on the establishment. Those shipbuilders had parliamentarians in their pocket. And so from 1785, they take this on. And friends, it was a tireless, relentless task. And it took until 1806, 21 years later, before the very first crack in that whole slavery was able to be set apart. They didn't, amen. And that wasn't even, the, uh, that wasn't even the, the big one. That wasn't even slavery abolished. That was just the slave trade abolished by British citizens. It took another 25 years before slavery in itself in its entirety would be abolished in the UK. And many, many years before it became something that the others followed, other nations followed in. Here was a man, folks, gripped with an understanding of his general purpose. And then, his, and then the specific purpose took on true and real significance. Another man, George Washington Carver. Born the son of American slaves and raised in the humbling conditions of poverty and prejudice, George Washington Carver overcame the barriers of his childhood to achieve world renown as a distinguished scientist, poet, painter, and teacher. From an early age, Carver pursued an interest in plants, an interest that led him to Iowa State University and a graduate degree in botany. Dr. Lewis H. Pommel, the distinguished scientist for whom Carver worked at Iowa State, called him a brilliant student, the best collector, and the best scientific observer I have ever known. Carver's use of innovative agricultural methods and scientific research to produce everyday consumer products would change forever the nature of farm economics and sustainability. 
Carver devoted his career to teaching sustainable farming, which for him included developing new uses of agricultural products that could boost farm profits and move farmers away from monoculture. To help farmers adopt sustainable practices, Carver and his students developed more than 300 industrial uses for peanuts, sweet potatoes, and other crops that could be grown in rotation with cotton and corn. Carver's inventions also included plastics, glue, soap, paints, dyes for cloth and leather, medicines, and cosmetic ingredients. His work inspired leaders of the Kemmergy movement, whose proponents looked for ways to replace petrochemicals with farm-derived products. Leaders in the Kemmergy movement, such as Charles Kettering and William J. Hale, proposed that anything made from a hydrocarbon could be made from a carbohydrate. If Carver were alive today, he would marvel at the new tools of modern biotechnology, tools that are helping achieve a brighter and more sustainable future. He would also see that his dreams are being realized by a new generation of scientists, farmers, business leaders, and innovators. What many people don't realize, amen, what many people don't realize is that George Washington Carver was a radically born-again believer. The reason that he went into discovering all these different farming practices was because he was gripped by the poverty that had gripped the entire south of farming community. And he said, he said, God, give me solutions to alleviate poverty and malnutrition. And he realized that part of the problem was that their reliance on the cotton crop and where they kept producing cotton on the same ground was producing lower and lower yields. And God showed him that crop rotation is something that should be done. And so then he said, Lord, what? And so God said, the peanut. And he said, but there's nothing to do with a peanut. And God said, I'm going to show you 300 things you can do with a peanut. And it transformed the entire farming community in the South. And still to this very day, some of his inventions. And so folks, here was a man that was gripped with a desire to see lives transformed, to see communities transformed, to see poverty obliterated. And he said, God, show me a way. Carver believed that faith in God was a prerequisite for excelling in the art of science. I'd like to introduce you to another group of people. These chaps here are from the University of the Witwatersrand. Under the guidance of Professor Willy Cronier, they were gripped with the problem. Over two million households in this country don't have access to power. Some of these households live directly under high-voltage transmission lines. And the problem is that to get power from that high-voltage transmission line to some of those homes, it's going to cost between 40 and 50,000 rand per connection. Two million homes, 50,000 rand, that's 100 billion rand. Right now, I guess we're kind of going, Lord, how is that ever going to happen? So properly... And his students said, we'd like to come up with a solution for a few thousand rand that he's going to be able to put power in every single home. It's what they call the Pico power grid. And pretty much, it's a small set of boxes with batteries, solar panel, and a very, very smart, intelligent card that gets the whole system to work and operate together within itself. And so rather than bringing in a 50,000 rand connection from a, from a power line, what you can do is take a few thousand rand and put a system like this inside of every 
single home that doesn't have access to power. It's a DC system, so it's safe. It doesn't burn down, so there's, you know, there's no fumes, etc. And so here these guys are saying, Lord, how do we do this? And we have the privilege through our company to walk alongside, help Vitz to commercialize this. Because here's the vision, folks. Here's the vision to find men and women, young and old, men and women of character, place them in the center of communities with a container and the seed capital to acquire 50, 60, 100 of these systems. And then to start serving their community. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a 500 meter radius, maybe it's a kilometer radius. And to start serving their community, because you know what, folks? A lot of these people may not be able to afford a few thousand rand to buy one of these systems. But almost every single household is spending money on candles, or paraffin, or wood, or something similar, which is a fire hazard and a health hazard. And so yeah, we can bring a solution into community, create jobs and bring power to every single household in South Africa. But can I tell you what their specific purpose is? These four gents need to make sure that the system is safe, it's efficient, and it's cheap. If we can produce this for a few thousand rand, we can roll this out across South Africa. And so I'm praying that these guys here we'll be able to put the system in place so that we can commercialize it and get it across and put it in every single home that needs it in this country. And then start looking north and start moving into Africa. Because folks, when we're able to bring power into homes, we're able to bring safety, security, we're able to improve education, we're able to provide means of being able to create income. And we're able to see the spin-off. So folks, what we need to understand here is that partnering with God is a 360-degree mission. Your specific purpose is going to be very different from mine, but we need to understand that it is a twofold purpose. It's not just physical or just spiritual. It's not an or, it's an and. You see, the Word of God tells us in Mark that what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose their soul? William Wilberforce understood this. George Washington Carver understood this. In fact, one of his quotes is, he said, I want my students to find Jesus. How I long for each one of them to walk with the great, great creator through the things that he has created. And we've realized that if we put light into every single home in South Africa, but fail to find a way to bring light into their lives, we would have failed to bring the full extent of God's kingdom into that home. And so we are saying we are committed to bringing physical light into homes, but we're also committed to saying, God, how can we use this to change lives, to change communities, and to change society? You see, folks, if all I do is I light up somebody's home and leave it at that, I'll be buying a set of Elof Street properties whilst playing God's game of chess. And whilst it would be nice to hold Elof Street properties because, wow, they look really cute, at the end of the day, I've been falling short of God's ultimate plan and purpose for why he's given us this business and the way that he wants us to touch lives. And so how does this work, folks? 
very simply, God gives us each a very specific ministry and a very specific mission. And you know what that does? That gives us the right to be in the room. The fact that you have a friendship, the fact that you're a cyclist, the fact that you're an entrepreneur, the fact that you're a pastor, the fact that you're a teacher gives you the right to be in the room. And when you enter that room with the ability to serve, you're saying, God, help me change the atmosphere here. Lord, where there is fear, let me bring faith and hope. Father, where there is poverty, let me bring abundance. Father, where there is greed, let me bring love. Because you're saying, God, I want to be a catalyst of your change in this place. You see, folks, when we have that attitude to say, God, bring your heaven to earth in this place where you have given me the right to be in, you know what happens? It gives us the right to be intentional in people's lives. You walk up to a neighbor that you haven't spoken to ever and you say, hey, come to church. How many of you kind of sometimes they look at you? I'm saying, do it if you only see them once a year. But you know what's much more effective? Is when you've built relationship with that neighbor. And when they've needed a cup of sugar, you've been there for them. And when they needed someone to look after their dogs, you've been there for them. And then when you say, you know what, we're running this campaign, you'd like to come, what's there? There's been a relationship, there's been a rapport. You've earned the right to be intentional in their lives. And so God gives us specific callings, specific missions, specific ministries, so that as we serve and we change the atmosphere, we earn the right to be intentional and to evangelize and win them to Christ so that they might find their purpose, their mission, and they might do the same thing in their lives as well. And so, folks, I want to encourage us today. You might be sitting here and going, you know, sometimes I just feel like what I'm doing just doesn't, it's not as significant as I really hoped it would be. Well, let me ask you, how's that general purpose of God in your life? How's that looking right now? Maybe you're kind of saying, Lord, I'm good with you, but it's time, Lord, we need to move on. We need to do something. I want to get down to business. Maybe God's challenging you to pick up new things, get into new areas. Maybe it's a new hobby. Maybe it's a new area. Maybe it's to kind of come alongside someone and help them, mentor and whip them. Whatever it is, I believe God's highlighting certain things in our lives. And so folks, as we do this, I'd like to encourage us as a church to say, Lord, you have your way in our lives and in our hearts. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we just come to you this morning. And we say, Daddy, we want to submit all of our specific, specific purposes missions, ministries, callings. Lord, we want to submit them all to you. Father, we want it to count for you and for your kingdom. So you might be here today and you're kind of saying, I realize that I've been doing a whole lot of stuff, but I've been missing out on the most important that general purpose, that general relationship, that right standing with God, I need to go back there and I need to make sure that that's in place. If that's you this morning, would you just very quickly just raise your hand? I just want to see if I need to pray for anybody here today. If you're here today and you're saying, God, I need to make right with you. I want to get that primary general purpose sorted out in my life. I want to restore that relationship with you. If that's you, can you just very quickly raise your hand? I want to see if there's anybody here today. Thank you, I see that hand at the back there. I see that hand on the left. Folks, don't miss this. This is the most important decision you're ever gonna make. I see that hand on the left. I see these hands on the left here. Don't let this moment go by. I see the hand at the back on the right-hand side. 
don't leave today until you've taken that step to be reintroduced into that loving relationship with Jesus. Church, if you could do me a favor, if we could all just stand to our feet, please. And if you raised your hand, could you do me a favor? Could you bring your stuff with you? And could you just join me in the front? Because I just want to lay my hands on you and I just want to pray with you. Those of you that raised your hands, please, at the back there on the right, please come on forward. Folks, let's give them a hand. If you came with somebody, bring them along with you. If you are invited today, bring them along with you, all right? Come on, folks, come on down. This is what it's all about, amen. Hallelujah. I know there were a few more. But if you want to just come and see us afterwards, that's fine as well. Folks, let's just lift our hands and let's just pray. And guys, I just want you to repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning. Make me new. Forgive me. Come live in my life. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a praise offering again. Would you guys do me one more favor? we just got something we'd like to share with you. Would you just please follow these amazing people out to your left? And we we'll just won't keep you very long, but we just want to share a few really important things with you. Amen. Before you go today, folks, I want to share a secret with you. You may not know this, but as a kid, I was very shy. I, I, uh, I, I, I didn't... I, I, I was, okay? Can I tell you what helped me become much more intentional in my walk with God? When I started doing some of these 10-day missions. We didn't call them 10-day missions back then, but they were 10-day missions. Because you see, what happens is when you go on a 10-day mission, what happens is you just kind of like, you just say, Lord, I'm leaving everything else behind me and I'm just going to focus on what you want to do in other people's lives. To tell you, as much as it changed the people's lives that I was ministering to, I came back completely transformed, just ruined, never the same again. It was on one of those 10 day missions that I met Belinda. After five minutes, I was smitten. After five days, God told me I was going to marry her. After five years, we were married. I know, I know, okay, I know. But that was 25 years ago. If you see the word mixed on there, that means there's going to be singles on that mission trip as well, all right? So just uh, pay, pay attention. These are just four of them, and there'll be many more this year. But I want to encourage you folks, if you've never been on a 10-day mission, prioritize it. Go home today, pull out your diary, and prioritize one of these missions, because I promise you it's going to change your life. And when you come back to Joburg, that awkwardness that you sometimes still feel, I promise you it's going to be a lot easier to get over it because God would have done something inside of your life. Amen?